ParkPal is a companion iPhone app for trips to Disneyland Paris. You can check live attraction wait times, find out schedules for shows, character meet and greets and parades. You can see restaurant opening hours, menus and prices and you can scan in your fast passes and set reminder alerts. ParkPal is available for free from the App Store. Hello, welcome to Shoot First, Talk Later, the photo shoot podcast with me, Robert Gershenson. This episode is the second part of my chat with David O'Reilly. In the last episode, he spoke about how he worked with filmmakers such as Michael Mann, Christopher Nolan and Tim Burton before he moved on to a galaxy far, far away to scout locations on Rogue One, a Star Wars story. In this episode, David chats about how he made this short film, Kubrick by Candlelight. So let's talk about how you go from being a location scout to a short film director you know when did you start to think i've got to i've got to start doing my own stuff uh i, I suppose a little bit about i think i said earlier is is and it's not and this is not saying this was about star wars or even the last two or three films that you kind of you sort of put up or shut up really you can only sit in your office with everyone else going yeah but if we did it this way yeah it'd be fine. you know the only real way unless you become a producer on those films or kind of move up to the point where you're the person making the decisions to kind of go, well, how would I do it? Well, you, you kind of got to do it. Um, so I'd made a few and excuse me, and mo- most of them had been sort of 48 hour film challenges and things like that, which are kind of very, the product doesn't end up being very good, but they're a very motivating force. Mm. So you start on the Friday and then by Sunday night, you've got a film and you brought everyone together to do that. Which you learn take, a lot, yeah. Which usually takes months to get up up and running and go for it. And actually, it forces you you got you either just quit halfway through and forget it, or you go okay, let's try and do it in two days. Yeah. So I did a couple, and then we did one that was kind of quite fun, and then kind of was beginning to get a bit of attention. And we were going to talk about developing it into a feature film, and we you know so maybe one day we will. Um, and then with that same team, we started thinking we should do the same but actually plan one and then like two years later got around to it really is that what um club yeah what's it, what's club it called 2130 yeah is that what that was yeah i so we made a it was a science fiction 48 hour film challenge and we made and you get obviously you get given a title you get given a get given a line a line of dialogue and a prop um oh, so at least it, it gives you a start it gives you a focus yeah and 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 typical of us, we had 48 hours, and then on the Saturday, everyone said, oh, um, we're a bit busy. So, in <laughs> fact, we ended up doing it in 22 hours. Um, it was, you know, and it, it's, it's quite fun. We should have won just for that. Yeah, I think, yeah, and it was and it was quite fun, and, um, you know, we'd written a little bit of it before, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> and then Watch for, them and then, take your crown away. And then forced everything into it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, and I was in it by the virtue of... Um, no one being available <laughs> i ended up being in it and making sure that i had all the best lines um so interesting about what we've done this afternoon is is being in front of the camera i don't remember being 
and that was weirder because I was in front of the camera and trying to direct a very small team mm. but um I bizarrely found it kind of easy but kind of just we just did it yeah and I didn't review much and because it was comedy and it was basically just faces I thought okay let's just go for it and of course you're under the clock so um but obviously this afternoon being in front of the camera I found fairly kind of not intimidating because you're not intimidating but um quite interesting the relationship with the lens and feeling it watching you bizarrely is is something i now appreciate for my actors on on the film we just did but that it's uh, i suppose for an actor learning technique and and camera rather than theater work is knowing where it is but ignoring it and uh, so i actually learned quite a lot of this afternoon just being in front of your camera to be honest in, in terms of you know sometimes i'd be next to you sometimes be on the other side of the room is that what you mean yeah i just uh, I, I suppose also it's all about the face and the eyes isn't it for for portrait work and obviously yeah but it, um it's all about the close-up yeah, essentially and, and kind it, of and and it's sort of i suppose then knowing what your face is doing bizarrely you know i suppose we were trying to have a bit of fun with it mm. i suppose uh, bizarrely it was quite a big lens and thank, I, thank you you know it has been <laughs> warm today but um but it was yeah I, it was quite interesting i I was quite intimidated i suppose i suppose the only way to describe my relationship with them was when i have been in those short films and i've done a few little bits of silliness for Kubrick by candlelight when we did a kind of promotional thing is actually you kind of you're you're acting so I suppose you're someone else and actually then it's easier to let go yeah makes sense whereas I suppose today to a certain extent I I know we had a bit of fun with it in terms of costumes and hats um (laughs) but your kind your job essentially is trying to find me yeah which then is kind of that's that's the intimidating because acting as yourself is is the hardest thing because then you suddenly think well how do i stand how exactly. do i yeah look yeah and i and so i i think i said earlier uh, when we were talking before that when i did was doing these little bits for promotional i was sort of almost a sort of alan partridge version of myself yeah as a director um and i was quite happy with that because then you then you can go and get away with it um but actually when you're and that's, I'll be honest, that's probably like the first time I've ever had my photo taken professionally. Really? Since I was at school. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was with like six other hundred boys or something like that. But um, And you weren't wearing the Kubrick jumper. Well, I might, um, yeah. You might have been. Might under, have been under your, actually, yeah, it was a weird your... school. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that's sort of, it was interesting. And I, I suppose I was kind of enjoying it at the end, but it's sort of, I suppose you're not sure what to give you. But, but actually what you want is yeah. me does that make sense and uh, but you're not but as a as someone who's not not sure you're not sure whether to just give but, you a comedy face or, but even even know. for me as as the photographer because you know we we never met until today I, I sometimes i don't know what i do want but i know what i don't want so it was nice that you know we shot for about half an hour before we went into the kitchen and that's where we we found our groove um so it's nice to have that sort of organic process definitely yeah because as much as you know i'm a decent enough photographer i hadn't seen your house before i'd never met you before so Mm. sometimes it can take me a bit of time to get in the groove as well let's talk about kubrick by candlelight what was it about a fictional biopic epic set in the 1800s that said to you romantic comedy (laughs) 
I suppose there was a scheme to enter, um, a, a competition to enter, um, which is where uh, in a in a county in Ireland where my mum and dad are from. So technically, where I'm from. So I thought, well, it has to be kind of an Irish project. And obviously, as you've seen, I'm a Kubrick fan. Just a little. <laughs> um, and it's, it's got worse over the last year. But um, and and I'm a huge fan of Barry Lyndon. Um, and it's sort of not not so much now. I think it, it had a cinema release last year. It was, but it was slightly the forgotten classic in the sense. I agree. He's got so many classics that you kind of go, oh, the three-hour costume drama, forget it. But you know, and and how it's impossible not to when you have two thousand and one and The Shining and the full, you know. But that's the thing. Else. I think because it is sandwiched between Clockwork Orange and The Shining, those those two films are so culturally aware in terms of. You could speak to someone who doesn't know who Sandy Kubrick is, but they know who Alex is and they know who Jack Torrance is. And they know the look and the the, the jumpers and the yeah. carpets and so it's and so they were so bold and so uh, iconic, let's say. Um that actually yeah, I suppose some somewhere in between Barry Lyndon gets and got got forgotten. Mm. So but I was always a massive fan and of course I uh, I suppose luckily then had begun to work with people that had worked with Stanley Kubrick. Oh, people Some of like them, who? Um, well, I, well, my first real, uh, after Robin Higgs, who was a location manager, then the next location manager was a guy called Nick Daubeny, mm-hmm. who um, who I only met yesterday or the day before. And he he had worked on Eyes Wide Shut and Stanley had driven him around. He, driven, <laughs> wow. a, driven him around. Scouting. He'd driven Stanley or Stanley had driven Stanley him? Stanley had driven him around. That's okay. how he liked to scout. Um <laughs> So I'd always heard those stories, and then and then he had known him a long time. But I then started to work with him a second AD called Michael Stevenson, who was the second AD on Barry Lyndon mm. and and The Shining and Lawrence of Arabia, like everything and anything. Um, so I'd heard stories from him, um, and so I I not only a film Kubrick fan of the films, but then also of I suppose, actually, funny enough, I think everyone is. If you're a Kubrick fan, you're almost a fan of of him, yeah, and his persona, or no persona, or, and the stories about him and the myths, and it's sort of he's almost entwined in his films, bizarrely. In in a way, our love of Kubrick films and our obsession completely mirrors his love of what he did and, and his process of absolutely complete yeah. immersion, absolutely, and. Yeah. And there's there's I, there's still no one else like that. I mean, we're talking about Nolan, and he has, you know Nolan's very. I suppose you do know you're watching a Chris Nolan film, but you certainly know you're watching a Kubrick film. Yeah, they just there's you're there, and you you can feel his obsession with the detail in the detail. You know, so mm. nothing. I obviously all the stories about you know meticulous detail and two hundred takes and stuff, but actually it's all there. You know, all the reasons for all of that are on the screen you know you, mm. so it's not like they shot for 40 months and it was rubbish do you know what i mean they shot for 40 months because he was getting somewhere trying to figure it out and then when he figured it out it was their classic of all time you know what i mean yeah so, so 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 i was a massive fan of him and as a director and then of his process and you know good or bad myth or legend or truth and then when i was reading about berlin and everyone would always talk about the infamous phone call and him leaving the Republic of Ireland overnight, having been threatened. So for those who don't know, yeah. Barry Lyndon is set in Ireland, was being filmed in Ireland in the early 70s, um, kind of at the height of the Troubles, the the um, the IRA issues. 
and because Kubrick had Irish boys in costume as British army members, the IRA didn't like that. So they had to leave um, Ireland and relocate to not too far from where Kubrick was living at the time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that, so that I was always <coughs> intrigued by that, and 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 obviously there's lots of stories about why that happened. Uh, I suppose I'll I'll end with the person I asked eventually, uh, Michael Stevenson, who who answered the call from the person. So that's how close we were. He was wow. actually the guy who picked up the phone. Um, but some people say it was someone who was sacked. It was an extra. Someone said it was the film crew, one of the film crew himself, because they were so tired of, of, the, <laughs> of the weather. Oh, wow! That in Waterford, that they just wanted to go home. Um, and then obviously, some people say it was absolutely the IRA. Yeah. And and Michael Stevenson said that he had no question that when that call was made, and he spoke to them, the, the costume lady picked it up, gave it to him, and they'd already had a few little bits of. Uh, I suppose undocumented now, I suppose because it's, it's it's not a bigger bigger story, but they had already had a few bits of run-ins with gangs, or yeah. you know, but obviously with with something behind it whilst they were there. So it was so it wasn't just a cold call in Michael Stevenson's. It was view. the culmination. It of... was a combination of quite a few things, and he he had been receiving death threats because of Clockwork Orange anyway, uh-huh, yeah, and it was part of the reason he went to the Republic of Ireland is, is to kind of not be shooting in the UK. So, um, and yeah, so he left overnight. And and so I take a sort of viewpoint on that, basically, and turn it into a rip-roaring, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kubrick-reference-laden uh, romantic comedy with uh, several poo gags and um, a fight and horses. And, uh, and, so, and so, and partly that's the kind of film I wanted to make. Um, and but I wanted to make it as opposite to the atmosphere of Barry Lyndon as possible, and so when I was working with the DOP, who I'd worked with a few times, or I know him, uh, Still Williams, I said he he would always ask, "We're just trying to recreate Barry Lyndon, aren't we?" I said, "No, actually, we're trying to recreate sort of hot Lyndon, like it's, it's if we went and tried and made that kind of period film, but all the kids were sexy and having sex and." It was hot. You know what I mean? So kind of like a um, like an 80s teen comedy version of kind of, yeah, Barry think, Lyndon. Yeah, I think so. And, and But set in the 70s. And set in the 70s with, and, bit, and 1770s. And yeah, so, but that was the concept. It was just that it wasn't... It would have been very easy or very difficult to kind of make a behind-the-scenes film about Barry Lyndon, a comedy or a drama, and make... And then you... The, obvious thing to do would be to make it look exactly like mm-hmm. Barry Lyndon. Now, we we did, in some places, make it look very like Barry Lyndon, I hope. Uh, which is no mean feat, because it's one of the most beautiful films ever made. But it was definitely not my... It's not... Uh, I suppose I'm a massive fan of Chris Nolan and uh, Stanley Kubrick, but if I ever make more films, um, they that that's not the emotional level or content I have, if that makes sense. I like humour. I like sort of people being warm and alive. Yeah. And and certainly both those directors, but certainly Kubrick is known for a kind of cold aesthetic mm-hmm. on a human level. Um, and Barry Lyndon is no different, even though it's got it's got a fair amount of passion. They're kind of cold people, and that's what he's trying to say. Um, so I've definitely wanted to make my little short film. <laughs> 
piggy, uh, piggybacking on Stanley Kubrick's film, uh, kind of hot Linden. Was the writing process difficult? Because you, you have a, a sole writing credit on, on the short film. Do you find writing easy? Does it come... Does that... Because, I mean, you studied English, but there's a difference between, let's say, you know, writing a, a book about uh, film scouting to actually piecing together a narrative. Um I sort of uh, this one came fairly quickly. I suppose my process, and everyone's different. different I mean, the process of photographer uh, is different, and mine is. I spent a, a long, long time thinking about it, stroke procrastinating. <laughs> Welcome now, to my world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I've learned that for, I can. I just wish procrastinating was tax deductible or something like that because it actually is work. Like yeah. it's it, and and I on a bus or a train or wherever you are thinking of something or thinking of a scene and then and then forgetting about it and then coming and then it comes back into your head in a dream or not six months or not but do you not do you not find that you know if if you you're thinking about something like I'm, i'm developing short films at the moment and i do write things down eventually but only if they've gone through the test of time if i remember an idea constantly it's a good idea but by not writing it down do you not find that um it's a good way of you know weeding out the shit definitely and and you and you write down a lot of shit and obviously you clearly thought of a lot of shit beforehand mm. so it so i suppose the work ethic that i come from is like that isn't work but actually that is the work yeah. it's your mind your <clears throat> your left and your right side of your brain figuring out the good stuff and then when it hits the paper as a note it's only just begun mm-hmm. to get to be a good idea or an idea daydreaming um, is is day- an important part yeah and i and so i wrote that then in costa coffee in piccadilly <laughs> <laughs> i always remember it because I was, I was it's sort of it's actually there's a good reason why i was there it's the location it's my location base <laughs> basically i don't belong to any clubs i was just like where shall i go that has a toilet and i can sort of hide away using their internet for hours <laughs> Um, and it always ended up being the basement uh, Costa Coffee in Piccadilly and so I wrote it there really quite quickly um, in the sense I yeah I suppose the initial idea came that I was going to kind of structure the film and the characters exactly on Barry Lyndon Okay. And in terms of what happens in that film, yeah, and it, and then and then flipping it, uh, and and there's a little bit of that left in the sense you, you could probably say the top three or four characters, or in my head anyway, correspond with the top three or four characters, and that's that that was some of the notes I gave the actors. Yeah, at the time. I can see that. I can so, see that. So the villain of the piece you would say is Leonard Rossiter's character, and 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 that was much clearer starting off that it was very uh, precisely aligned with Barry Lyndon mm. uh, not in tone but definitely in like they, in meet, structure. they meet and then they're rejected and someone else goes and and still some of that still is there in the sense it's it's definitely even in 18 minutes hopefully like a beginning and middle and they they we introduce them they meet there's bits in between there's a mm. fight and then they leave and and so there's it's it's quite formally and quite deliberately formally structured like a feature film um but it it went away a bit from that whole correspondence with with Barry Lyndon's structure uh, mainly because it's like an 18 minute film which is long for a short film anyway but how, but it's how also I... important for you to you know you have your initial spark but in order to find 
your voice and to have your style, you almost have to pull away from the thing yeah, that's inspired and, Which is what I, 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 I sort of did. And then obviously stuffed it full of <laughs> Kubrick references, which obviously I had to do, didn't I? Yeah. Um, but it's a love letter, isn't it? it, it complete. I hope so. Uh, I hope it's a love letter. But it, it, I, I think it is. It's, I, when we had the first meeting uh, with the local council who were doing the kind of competition to give me the small amount of money this is start. over in Ireland in, in Ireland yeah so I went to meet them and, and someone said and he didn't mean it in any way a criticism he said oh it's a bit like an episode of the Simpsons in the yeah. sense when it kind of has those yeah re, re, you know I think he was being disparaging <laughs> but you know when it goes and, and they do plenty of Kubrick references for a start but when it's that reference a clock when it's literally reference after reference yeah um and i hope and like i was gonna say hopefully there's not too many there's there's a lot and you some said of the, 90 didn't you so I felt it was about 89 90 and then funny enough i'm sort of retrofitting ones by the by the mean the new time by thinking oh yeah no i just remember that bit now i can say that was deliberate but it doesn't overwhelm the film there's still not. a really yeah, some f- i mean they're hopefully they're fun yeah um, um and then there's obviously ones that are minute i'm yet to find all in. of them yeah, I, I have. I, I've made the list. I'll try and publish it oh. at some stage. Email me that list. <laughs> but yeah, so but some of them are very tiny, retrofitted. So let's talk about funding. Short films are really, really important. It's it's a great way for new directors and new creatives to to really show what what they're made of. And I don't think there's enough funding out there to support them. No, I, I, there definitely isn't, and I think it's, it's strange, isn't it? it it's it, any other industry, it would be seen as kind of the apprenticeship, mm. and apart from what I've said about working for free as an intern, but you, you know, if you were, I, I'm, I'm not sure what, what, what I can use as an example, but you would, if you knew at some stage that person wants to be something, and or they're showing some kind of talent, you would fund that early stage knowing that the, then when you get to the later stage the product will not only be better but tighter and you're investing you, you're pretty much it, on the ground so it floor. seems strange now obviously there is there's money out there but but then there's also an awful lot of people after it yeah so i was lucky in the sense and i, I don't think it helped because i remember being in an interview saying well actually my mum and dad are from the town I was literally standing in for the interview. And they went, oh, yeah, we missed that. And I was like, really? I put it on the front page. But, um, <laughs> of your application. <laughs> in <the> script. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, and hopefully they liked it as, as a script. Uh, but I don't, and then when, when that, that information seeped through, I don't think it did me any disfavours. But it was, but that was 8,000 euros. Um, and that's from, that was the bursary. Yeah. The bursary from, what was it from called? From Film Offley. Which is Offley is the place in yeah, Ireland, which is the 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 county in the centre of Ireland, which okay. you know no one knows of to be to be precise, and that's where obviously I spent most of my blissful six week summers, and it was always sunshining. It can't have been because it was Republic of Ireland, but um, but that's what I remember. And they're you know, and fair play to them, they're trying to in, get people to shoot there, and one of their ways is at least getting promoting the place via the short film each yeah. year, and they've been, I think they've been doing it ten years or so. Um, what budget on, did you actually need? Well, we uh, we said we could do it for twenty four thousand euros. Wow! Um, so the concept was going to be eight thousand from them, eight thousand, or 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 the sixteen thousand, or eight thousand from investors, private yeah. inve- mate, friends, and then and then we'll stump up the rest, sort of thing. Thinking that actually that would end up being you know a grand or something. 
it didn't really turn out that way um and and also uh, and you've seen it i suppose one of the other things i really wanted to do with it and i suppose this is from the fact that i work on big films i suppose um but it's what i wanted to it's, it was almost as important as making the film was how i made it which was that it looked big and yeah it felt like a kind of movie and not even uh, i suppose uh, and and this isn't disparaging to short films and i know you're working on so i don't want to say anything but I like dramas, love uh, you know, I watch anything, but there's a lot of very very serious short films. And that seems to be the market mm. of film festivals also. So they obviously think that's what film festivals want, so then they go that's what they make Yeah, there's given. a definite and, uh, feedback loop and there's going a good, on. I suppose the the reason being it works is they're quite cheap to make. You uh, you know, no, joking aside, a kitchen sink drama will only cost you the room you're in yeah and if it's great then then it's great you know what i mean but i was sort of so i wasn't against that but i just knew from my own personal ambition if if i ever direct or you know even directing my own thing was that i didn't want it to be that i wanted it to feel like it was a film from the 70s or the or the eight you know what i mean i wanted to feel like it was big and and also then you're setting yourself up for a fall if you're going to make a film about a film crew even if you're a film make a film crew from now you're already adding problems you've got because you've got your kit behind the camera but you got to have kit in front of the camera yeah then you add it that it's 1973 well, it's, a, it's a period piece and it's, then it, and then it's two periods because they're yeah, shooting in periods. front of their camera and you was like <laughs> yeah no that eight grand ain't so, so you're making much. inception <laughs> it was inception I, I, I just realized i was on level three um but that so that so nothing in that early proposal and the script changed but it didn't change that much it was still where it was was big um, what what came out um i think just a couple of scenes some stuff went in um we, we when i won the award um they there were there, there was a writer called eugene o'brien who who's quite well known in in ireland from the midlands of ireland he sort of helped me and added said i should be adding a few bits and taking out a few bits and and at some point i sort of ignored some of that because that's you know you kind of think well I'll make my own mistakes and move yeah. on. But some of it was really valid. So I, I put stuff in and it was more... That, in fact, when they gave me the award, they said well, they wanted more of the love story. So okay. I suppose if I found a draft from early on, it was probably more about the film crew, I think. But but they wanted more of them together. Which so I, put, I, don't th- I don't think that has harmed the film at yeah, all. Yeah, so, and, and, so, and, and luckily then they were both really fantastic and Dara and Amy and they were had chemistry, clearly. Um so it worked, and and actually it was it was right. If it, it would just have be, become a kind of, I would say, uh, not even a, well, not a documentary, but it would have just been about film crews, yeah, work doing their bit. You know what I mean? And there's I'll enough. Get, there's enough documentaries there's like of, that of out that. there. Yeah. So so they were they were definitely right. So if, yeah, a few bits have gone out, and then there was a scene that I I really liked, which didn't make it, and it was just too expensive to shoot, and we literally decided on the weekend that we were shooting not to do it which was what was that they would have he would have gone to so the the cat one character's a, an ad um third ad an english ad and then one character's an irish extra who dresses up as a, a british soldier and they start so it's a romeo and juliet track two sides of the track kind of thing so they start to get together and i wanted him to do a romeo and juliet style window ah uh scene at night and he starts throwing stones and he hits Kubrick's window and Kubrick sort of aids 
the love affair by saying no you you've got the wrong window it's too so it would have been quite fun so it would have been the only bit you'd sort of feel like kubrick was actually aligned directing them. them yeah so and it would have been very fun but it would have been fun but the way it is at the moment kubrick is like a looming mythical figure definitely he doesn't yeah. although it is called uh kubrick by candlelight he's probably the smallest role definitely yeah how that, did you find and that that's uh, well how did i find him yeah <laughs> well i was gonna i was also gonna say i it was deliberate in the sense because i since i i showed us a couple of people when we finished it uh, or rough cut and they went oh gosh oh no actually i showed someone funny enough it was nick daubeny the location manager who'd worked with kubrick um and he had said oh god i want more of kubrick and i was like yeah but then then it will be different and yeah. uh, you, you know what i mean and you're you, well then it, it just would, becomes about it's about kubrick it's not about the two yeah the two and kids. So i think that was the way it was always the way forward it was just to keep him enough of, now we were obviously incredibly lucky to find someone who actually, you know, to most extent, looks like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. You know? What well, I found him on a, I think it's in the UK. There's a website called Star Now, and it's just kids putting their ten by eights out and yeah, and a showreel. And so I, yeah, so I was the casting director essentially. So I did a very basic male, lives in Dublin, black hair, beard, and then just see what came out. And then there was loads because everyone said obviously they lived in Dublin, they were male. And obviously everyone claimed they could grow a beard. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is not going to work. It was like 8,000. And I think I I think I just sort of kept going, kept swipe, swiping right. Um, and then uh, there were, and then two guys came up and I was like, okay. And so there was this one guy and then and then Michael that I event, and who eventually played it. And he had one little picture of with a little bit of beard. And I thought, oh my God, it's, it's him already. Um and then the other guy, and the other guy was much older, but had a proper beard. And I thought, well, you know, we could get away with it with him, and but it would be, let's see, a corner of him and keep yeah. him way out of the way. And then, so I uh, contacted Michael Nolan, and he's like twenty three years old, <laughs> and six foot four, so everything anti Stanley Kubrick because I think Kubrick was quite relatively small, and he, and I suppose by then would have been. 40-ish, I think, or certainly late 30s. But it started growing the beard, and as he developed visually over the month before, I was like, well, I feel much more confident about actually putting him in front of the camera. Yeah. And and and, and knowing that most people go, that's pretty good. I know it's not someone in a prosthetic, Yeah, but it's not bad for a short film. It's and, not bad at and, all. And, it was like, it? and I'm quite happy for him to, like, go on the posters and stuff because it because he, and he's you know he plays it well and uh, you know he doesn't he, he's he's in the back you know what yeah. i mean but but enough of and he only presence. has maybe two lines yeah at the beginning yeah which are, and, and and that all works because as you say it's you go over the line and then it's 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 about him yeah and then that that's a different film and and then it has to be done really well like then then all respect to Michael then then that person has to be an amazing actor to kind of do an accent but have a persona and a feeling of that director who who was obviously you know had a very specific way of being and yeah. working on set so and it so that's a different gig you know so and I like that it's, he's there and we see him sometimes quite you know close up and he's there but really he's never there you know what I mean which is kind of what the director is like on the set Probably different in those days because it would have been a much smaller gang, but 
now that there's so many people on set that it's almost impossible to find the director. He'll be sitting in the video village in the tent somewhere on location. And, you know, it depends what kind of director it is, but they might stay in there and occasionally run out to the actors. And It talks a little bit about Kubrick's sort of myth in terms of um, the fact that he was very publicity shy or press shy. You know, he's there, but he's not there. He's made a film, so his presence is known because there's a film out there, but him as a person, he's hidden away in, in St. Albans. He doesn't want people to recognise him. Yeah, The way you've used him in your short is... is kind of I guess true to life in in, in some yeah, respect and, and and then I suppose MJ is 18 minutes so you kind of yeah. have to pick and you have to cut stuff out and you know you have to kind of just and, and then we did a little bit of pickup work here in the UK in April and I so I suppose I did take Nick's advice I certainly put a bit more of him into a kind of into our montage in the middle which is kind of like six months you know? is that him just stood in the yeah candles? just but a bit yeah and then and 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 some people had said i wasn't i wasn't aware of the presence of the ira or that kind of or or his concern with it so mm. they were a couple of the new bits that you see him reading the newspaper and and then he's watching the television and the stuff going on just to put it in a little bit of context that eventually he would be frightened by yeah. that threatening call. So that they were bits that we did m- much, much, much after, um, and they were kind of with people's advice. And but also it was true. It was like, I suppose whatever happens with that film, by the virtue of the title and the subject matter, is people will come back to Kubrick. Yeah, you know, strangely they'll go. Yeah, no, I really like the kids in it. With you know, with a bit with Stanley Kubrick, <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> and why would it? I mean, we're not silly. That's eventually. I wanted to make a film about filmmaking, but. We we haven't done ourselves any harm by it being about Stanley Kubrick, put yeah. it that way. Um, but it's a fascinating subject. So it's but but yeah. So it's so we put some bit a bit more of him into it, and then we did a bit more of um, of the love affair developing and stuff like that. So um, and that's and that was a expensive luxury to go back. Talk to me about your process working with the actors. Um, well, I, I was learning as much as. As we, I was learning today, watching you shooting me. Really, yeah. I was. I suppose people go to directing school, don't they? But and I've not obviously done any of that. But I watch a lot of movies, so you kind of have a relationship with where people are. But that's all technical. And actually, then, then it's quite intimidating then to be in front of the actors who generally want notes from you. And Kubrick never really gave very many notes, mm-hmm. as I've read, and, and and heard stories about him. He would say faster, slower good let's go and that's all he would give yeah um now i and i still not sure if that's entirely true because because that's just just isn't how films are made they would have a rehearsal period before the film and script reads and you know so there's i've I've heard malcolm mcdowell say that he asked stanley a question and stanley looked at him and just said i'm not rather i hired you because you're a good actor so act yeah yeah well so there's an accumulation of that talk to suggest that is how he did it. Yeah. So I suppose that I'll I'll have to defer that is just, it's how he did it. Mm. I I got them together or most the three or four of the top cast for a rehearsal day, and I was all new to it. I was like I didn't know how to rehearse really or kind of I thought I knew what to ask them and they were asking me questions and then I'd ask them questions and actually I suppose what it all it was about was we were all together, we were all reading it. And we're all just relaxing with each other. Were you quite open in the sense that you said, I'm not sure how we're going to work together. We need to find a, a rhythm for yeah, ourselves. I, I, I think 
I'd, I'd found obviously the, the two leads, Dara and Amy, and, and I'd met them, and then I brought them together the same weekend that I met them and decided on them. And I just knew I'd get on with them. Yeah. And I got on, and we were having a laugh, and I thought, okay, this is all fine. And they seemed to get on with each other, so that was perfect. And then the rehearsal was just trying stuff out and reading it. and But I suppose their notes back to me was that it was quite precise in the sense... You know, I can't remember who says this, but it's like just it was, it was basically what you were saying to Malcolm. You just read it yeah. eventually, <laughs> and so, so sometimes with comedy, it's uh, it's the opposite. It's let's set the camera up and let's see what happens. Mm. And obviously, I'd love to do a film like that. And then you know, with with but who's got the money? <laughs> well, and, that, and that's the thing you can't do it. Yeah. Um. And so you were like, okay, we've got a three day or four day shoot, and we got to shoot. 20 locations and X, Y, you know what I mean? Loads, a, a brutal kind of schedule. And then you think, we haven't got time to let one of the actors go with it and see what happens. We did a bit of it because we had a, a, a comedian and impressionist called Al Foran who plays the kind of comedy sidekick, Mick, Mick Malloy. And obviously the reason we got him in is because he's funny and let's see what happens. And I suppose the regret of, of of the shoot was not spending more time finding stuff out. Yeah. But you can't. I mean, yeah. it's like everything was costing and we didn't have a lot of time and, you know, the crew were being paid and we couldn't say, okay, let's, let's slow everything down now and spend a day figuring this out. Now, had we, the film might be infinitely better, but no film works that way, whether it's $200 million or 20. Yeah. Are you are you happy with that as as it is? Yeah, are there I mean, lessons you're taking away? Yeah, I'm huge. I mean, we learned. Uh, I remember on the very final night, we we shot a long day. Um, but on the very final night, we finished, and me and Vinny went for a pint in somewhere in this in Tullamore, the town we were shooting, and we were like, "Oh my god, we've both." He was a location manager as well, and we've both been in the industry fifteen years or so, and we we'd learned more in those four days than we ever have. Um. So I learned a lot. Um, definitely, I'd do it. I I don't think I'd make a different film, but I definitely you do things differently. What would you do differently? Uh, and and it wouldn't be moments or bits. It would just be. I suppose my relationship with the actors would be different. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. I I might not know until I'm back doing it again. Yeah. If I ever do it again, you know what I mean. It's just. And it, I'm sure it's like photography. It's it's always you're always going to be learning forever oh absolutely yeah yeah. and it's sort of um and that's what's amazing about it you know what i mean you're you're never going to complete and go oh i'm sort of done now i think i know i know what i'm doing and i'm sure kubrick was exactly the same that's why he spent so long he was figuring stuff out and what i read about kubrick is that he, he um he never never really storyboarded never really thought about the shot until he got there on the day and that's quite well documented from actors and like people. you were telling me about the the shining yeah yeah, he, yeah exactly he, you know the famous shot where he's underneath uh, Jack Nicholson looking up and he's banging on the door they just you see that in the behind the scenes that he discovered that on the day yeah and you'd think in your head you think well he must have thought about that six months before and he had it storyboarded <laughs> and he was ready to go and so that's how he worked organically and I suppose you can begin to do that in fact in our, in that fantastic Tashin book standing sitting there it does say about um that he storyboarded and he and he stuck to the script very tightly in the early days because he had to yeah. it wasn't stanley kubrick then he was just a director and then when he started to get 
a, an amazing relationship with Warner Brothers and they'd kind of go, how long do you need? And Stanley would go, come back to me. You know what I mean? It, they'd go, okay. And I that that probably only exists now with people like Chris Nolan. But, um, but, but there's, there's, there's loads of footage and loads of <clears throat> photographs of him on set with a typewriter. Yeah. Constantly putting new pages into the script, new sides, different coloured paper, so everyone knew the differences. And 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 that's why that's why they're great movies. Yeah. He obviously was never happy and probably, you know, as I say, he was probably never happy in with any of his films and as he was going on, even when he was doing Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut, it was just he was constantly learning. I, what I read about his research, and there's that great documentary, I don't know if you've seen, Boxes, with John Ronson goes to the house and goes through all the boxes, and, and now they're in um, University Arts London. Mm. Um, is none of, as we said earlier, none of that research or that interest in the minutiae ever went to waste. You know what I mean? It's it's all there. Yeah. Um, and uh, so whether I would want to be that kind of director, I'm not sure. But I, I can't remember what I... I don't think I enjoyed the four days filming, I'll be honest. Because you, uh, you d- I don't think you do. Um, because it, we were up against it. And also, partly, I was paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really difficult scenario to be in as mm. the creative lead. So you argue, you go to the toilet and argue with yourself and go... I think we need two more hours to get the, get this out of... But you can't justify it. And you can't. And then you tell yourself, no, you can't. And then someone comes in and says, why are you talking to yourself? And that's in the, <laughs> that's in the film, obviously. You know, that scene. But um, talking to yourself in the toilet. But um, So that's kind of quite difficult. I wouldn't... I, I'll be honest, if, if I'm lucky enough to do another film, I wouldn't like to be so heavily invested in it financially that it interrupts with your creative process does that make sense or find a way to have a clear division in your head yeah between yeah you know director david and producer and i think david. that'll have, that that will i mean he produced a lot of his own films yeah and, and, I, and I don't know uh, i've worked with lots of producer directors and michael mann is definitely one and i don't know when i suppose that takes time to figure out how you divide it you know where you you but i've but i have seen those directors and i i seen chris nolan do it as he's producer director is where they, they're talking about something massively creative and exciting and then flip to a a, a very obvious financial decision decision yeah. about it and and that's quite uh, and then that's mainly though when it's not your money yeah so, <laughs> i've heard yeah. um i've heard the story from eyes wide shut era that i can't remember what it was but sandy was like you know I could have gone on for another day or another this, that and the other on this particular scene. And he, and he said, but I just can't justify the cost. So I think he had it down. Yeah, He yeah. had it down to a T. But I think after, you know, 40, 50 years of filmmaking, you, you would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I yeah, I, I learned a massive amount. I, what I do remember is the four days were, were just tough because we had a lot to do, a lot, uh, massive amounts to do. And we had night shoots pretending to be of a ferry port and you know and well, you've seen bits yeah. of it, and and, it, and old cars and extras and none none of the stuff we put into it was designed to be easy so i so i shouldn't be surprised that it was tough but bizarrely then the two day the day and a half that we did of bits and pieces at shepperton studios not far from here was such a great was great fun because we we're doing shoot, shooting no dialogue it was all bits for the to fill out the montage yeah 
and it was sun shining and it was just beautiful and, and all the pictures of me behind the scene i'm smiling <laughs> um but uh, but and, and part of that was a different environment different weather we didn't have dialogue to get through we had a, quite a clear list of x y and z to shoot but also i actually then in the interim of those few months from the shoot had actually realized i think if i were to make comedies um you i think you have to be in good form as a director as in, well, you need to be... Yeah, like, in good humour. I see. You know what I mean? I, I mean, uh, you can. it's still serious. And yeah. all, all, but all of the behind-the-scenes pictures of me in in Ireland in December, like, I look like the world's about to cave in. Because <laughs> um, it was. like Because the world is caving in every minute of the day. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, where's the horses? Where's this? You know, oh, my God, this, it's not going to happen. Oh, it's dark. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, um, so, so and, and then we didn't have that issue. We didn't... We we had a very it was pickup so it was a very clear like we've got to shoot twenty five things this weekend one of them's a candle doing X you know what I mean like yeah some of them were but kind also of when you're in the studio I guess it's you have way more control yeah, over and everything and we, we stayed we stayed in one place and we yeah. just shot bits of this and bit of that and so it was it was a lot easier but I definitely you're not far from home yeah exactly so I I but I definitely in the interim thought I'd love to do this again but I have to be able to enjoy it if. I'm to feel as if I'm making a comedy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I don't think I don't think every comedy director that's ever ever existed is like a laugh riot on mm. set. But I think if you're not having fun with it, then it starts to seep in to how you're directing the actors. And 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 apart from Al, none of them were you would say comedy. You know, they're all great actors, but you wouldn't say, okay, well, he's a comedy actor. So they were actors, and then I was. And and that's what I wanted them to be kind of straight, but obviously have a kind of comedy romantic romantic comedy slightly different anyway. Mm. Um, and I so I learned a lot then in after that thinking about it and watching it in the rushes thinking there was no way the the environment would allow us to be really loose and kind of have fun. It just wasn't that place or the time or the money. Um, but if I were to do it again, I, I'd have to build that in. Yeah, and have fun. If if it was a comedy. so if you set your if you set the expectations, you know that you know the weather in Ireland is going to be shit. It's going to get dark really early. If you know that, then you can you can almost account for that. Yeah, so you I, I work feel, around it. I just think it's it's more to do with if you can you enjoy it. Maybe you can't enjoy it. Maybe it's so personal for a start because it's not like I was for hire. I wrote it. Yeah, produced it with Vinny and then directed it and then it's all on your shoulders and then chose the locations as you'd expect um, <laughs> and then bought some of the costume. You know what I mean? Like so, so it's like it's all me. That sounds terrible, isn't it? It's all me, but but it is. And it, and how could it not You're be? That it's kind my of film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, but it's my film, isn't it? And and how can I expect anyone to work any less hard than me? Do you yeah. know what I mean? If that makes sense, it's like I I, I have you to lead be, by example. I have to be the workhorse because everyone else is coming for minimum money or no money, and you know what I mean. So, but yeah, so that uh, it's not a regret. It's just the way it was. But I, I, I would love to do it again. I just want to have more fun. Are you hoping to turn <laughs> it into a feature? I'd, yeah, I'd love to. And I, I, I think if, if I were to criticize my own film, and and I, I think you asked me earlier, and I didn't really answer. And you'll, I'm sure you'll have a viewpoint on it 
as a photographer absolutely and a videographer um is some days certainly through the editing process i hated it i thought it was the worst thing i'd ever seen in my life <laughs> and then you kind of turn the corner but that's because you're too close to you're it you're too close to it and then uh, and then some days you sit back and you go actually you know what that's that's quite good fun and 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 so i suppose if nothing else i i direct i shot the script like it's there exactly how i thought it would look and be it would definitely like it definitely be better but anyway so i suppose what i'm saying about the film is what i would say is a criticism of it and what might it might struggle a bit uh, in film festivals um is it's quite long um but i don't think there's any way around that um there's a lot to cover i think um but also that it might feel a bit like an 18-minute advert for a feature film. <laughs> and let's be perfectly honest, that's what short films are for. So mine's a fair... And, and they're not... That's not in... They're not entirely... I think they're their own art form now, because they, cause they are. But if everyone's genuinely honest about making short films, it's a calling card for people to go, okay, you did that for that. If I give you that, you can give me that. I mean, that's that's the truth of it. To a to a degree, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had an affiliation with a film festival in Cardiff called the Iris Film Festival. Yeah, yeah. You know of them? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was on a, a couple of the judging panels okay. a couple of the years running, and one of the films that we awarded the Best of British to was this one called Middleman by a guy called Charlie Francis and written by uh, Katie White. Um, and it was the perfect short film because it had a clear beginning, middle, and end, and it wasn't trying to be a lead onto a web series or a feature okay, it exists as yeah, its own okay. but other films that i've seen in that festival that have gone on to win are clearly saying well this is the shorter film but really we want it to be a feature <laughs> with yours i think you find the middle ground mm, i think it works it works exceedingly well as its own thing and if it never develops into a feature or a tv show or whatever it can exist on its own but when I do watch it, I think I would love to see this as a feature yeah. because this is, it's cool. It's its such a good idea. Is the financing there? No, no. I mean, it's early day. Well, I suppose we're on our the beginning of the festival run now. Mm. Um, and it'll probably have been out by the time this airs. But we, we're premiering in a few weeks' time in September in Encounters in Bristol. And that's a big big film festival so we were and we're one of only three irish films there so i think you know that's a big start for us and then we're booking a few other festivals that i can't tell you about are you being quite uh, selective no uh it's this it's uh, i mean yeah, we could go on forever talking about it because i i'm new to it in a bizarre way yeah. i've been in the film industry a long time but um i don't but know. not the indie arm yeah and i just don't know the system and the kind of the little politics within it and so i people tell me different things be very selective go for this this and this you should be getting this and mm. and then some people go yeah go for it uh you'll just love seeing it somewhere and it seems to me uh, and so i don't know what i'm doing really it's bizarre i, I literally look at, and the systems to enter film festivals are so simple um that it's very easy well there's it's websites like, now where it's you, like amazon you, you it's put like, it into one website uh, and it enters it into 10 unfortunately festivals. that's what it is and so you kind of see this big button sitting there and you just go oh, that looks good i'll enter that <laughs> and uh so i'll be honest we've had a, a, a fair amount of rejections really um, 
and and you know do they give you a reason no and you never do unfortunately yeah. um so you kind of sit and stew and get really bitter about it which is what i do <laughs> um or you uh move on and i do that too um and i have to but um and, and but you know the the and you probably know much more about it than me um is there's loads of different reasons um it's a bit long for a comedy it's a bit long for some short you know i've because I, I don't know much about it i entered things that looked cool and i thought oh, i'd love to be there i'd love to go to that that'd be fun and then without really doing the research and then seeing that actually really they seem to only program things about four or five minutes because that's what they like and they have half hour blocks and so an 18 minute is a big old chunk of change in but if you but if you think about it in that way it's almost like you're you're you could have been doing yourself a disservice you can't tailor to what you, someone else wants yeah. you can only make the film yeah. you had in your head well, and uh, and i also and i think we, we touched on it earlier i think people are rightly because you know it's business are tailoring short films to festivals in content and length mm. um and and because i'm not knowledgeable but i'd like movies i haven't gone down that road it's it's quite long it's a comedy comedy instantly i think puts it on the back foot because i don't think bizarrely because people like comedies but but maybe the box office statistics for film festivals prove disprove that but film festivals unless they're a comedy film festival tend not to have massive amounts of comedy mm. really so there's lots of reasons why it won't do well. <laughs> there's lots of reasons I hope it does do well. It's got a big brand that we've kind of jumped on. It's got very good actors. It's got Brian Cox, Manhunt, the original Hannibal Lecter. We're getting back to, um, and 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 of course they're things because you can read forever about film festivals and short films, and I have done, and it's so varied. I don't know where I am at with it, but you can hear people saying. It should never be long. It should never have a big star in it because everyone's after that and that just shows you're trying to get into a film. I mean, there's, there's so many different ideas behind it because it because everyone's at it. Um, uh, yeah, there was just so, there's so... And so I've sort of almost done everything wrong. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> On so that note, how did you get Brian Cox, well, the original and best Hannibal yeah, Lecter? We, we had a... We, to be fair, I had a list. Um, it had uh, in a strange way it had to be someone famous. There was a narrator. Yeah, yeah, it did. It didn't. It had to be a voice that had some kind of gravitas, mm -hmm. and that and that could be just a very good actor. But the gravitas comes from the fact that you recognise it, and then that's sort of comforting. But also you're kind of like, oh, this this narrator then is it gives it authority and, in, yeah. and an authority, and also then that plays on the role of the narrator in. Barry Lyndon, an amazing voice, an amazing actor, and Michael Horden, who is kind of a character in the film. He's quite sardonic about mm. the proceedings, and also sometimes he's saying stuff that are clearly not playing out the way they are on screen. Very mm. deliberate, and it's like the book. This the un, is the English uh, language and literature graduate. It's the unreliable <laughs> narrator, basically. So I knew that the narrator was going to be a big part of it, and obviously, as you've seen it, the narrator eventually kind of breaks the fourth wall and, mm. and starts talking to the main characters um which are hopefully is fun and um, which oddly doesn't happen in in barry linda no. barry linda yeah. we never meet the narrator yeah. and it, uh, but it's very uh, and all narrators are i suppose but very 
authoritarian and omniscient kind mm. of presence in in Barry Lyndon. Um, so we had a bit more fun with our one. So we had a list of any, and, and I, I genuinely said anyone on this would be fantastic. Who was on the list? A lot so of people. Brian Cox. <laughs> well, uh, uh, let's so be top on, three. Let's be honest, right? I, I was on record saying I really wanted Liam Neeson ah. to play the narrator, um, and we got very close actually, and he couldn't do it um, or didn't want to do it, but we got very close, and I was very um, grateful to his assistant for talking to me and and you know but he was busy and he didn't fancy it and but i so i was kind of on record deliberately on record when i was doing little bits of interviews in ireland going yeah no i love liam neeson just to see whether someone would bite and yeah then go yeah no he'd love to do it that never <laughs> happened um so we went we were i was after him for a long while and then and then yeah so i had a, a list of very very good irish actors and then english actors uh and and no, no american although apart from one i was going to I, I approached, but they never replied. Ryan O'Neill. I thought we'll never do it, um, especially after one of the gags in it that you will have seen <laughs> about oh, yeah. his toilet habits. Um, <laughs> so there was no chance he was going to do it, and it probably would have been wrong. And I, and I, in fact, he wouldn't have done it anyway, even if it was amazing, because it would be sort of seen to endorse a product that isn't from the Kubrick estate. You know what I mean? But anyway, and, okay. then, and Malcolm McDowell was on the list. And oh, wow. Stephen Burkhoff was listening. Stephen Burkhoff was really interested in doing it. And then it sort of didn't work out time wise. And he was in Barry Lyndon and, 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 a, and a tiny bit in Clockwork Orange. Um, but, but everyone was very famous and, but also brilliantly gifted at, at narration and, mm. and, and amazing voices. And, and we went through quite a few and it, and sometimes it's brutally quick. Yeah, email the agent and it's no thanks. It's a flat out no. Or nothing. And Brian Cox was definitely on the high list. Now, what I did was I waited a long time because I was really thinking Liam Neeson might work and happen. And then it didn't. And then we were like, right, we nearly finished the film. <laughs> so then I sort of sent out some serious emails. And then Michael, um, Brian Cox's voice agent said, oh, yeah, no, he's... Um, oh, no, it wasn't even... He's quite interested. It was when do you need it? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, hold on, I better keep this going. And so I was like, yeah, okay, quick, I'll email straight back. Uh, yeah, whenever he's free. And she goes, no, 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 seriously, like, you know, when? And I was like, uh, you know, whenever, like next week or you know I, it's like i'm not going to tell you, you tell me. Had you, you had the narration completely written yeah, out? Yeah, it was all written and and um. Because obviously the script changed slightly. Yeah, from the I think finish. that was still. Yeah, it was still solid. I think I changed tiny bits to, yeah. uh, during the editing process to to help the edit. So I turned just. Did you show him the film? Yeah, well, funny. There's 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 uh, lots of different stories about how it all went down. I so I sent the film and I sent the script, and um, then the agent said, uh, "Yeah, no, he'd love to do it um, next fir- no Thursday, five o'clock." And it was, I think it was Wednesday or something. It was, <laughs> I think it was, maybe it was Tuesday. I was like, oh, okay. So you had like two uh, days. Yeah, I, I, if that, I think. And I was just fran- frantically, the sound designer then managed to set us up with a Soho um, suite. And the guy who'd done some of the ADR was like, yeah, no, I'll do it. It would have to be after work. So I was like, five. I was like, yeah, after work. Yeah, no, five is fine. That's, that's when he can do it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so he turned up and he said, uh, gosh, I haven't. I, I had a quick glance at it. I haven't read it, and I was like, "Oh my god!" No. I was like, "It sounds great." And then, and and then he really he was into it because he loves Barry Lyndon, he loves Kubrick, he loves Ireland. He's almost sort of ninety percent Irish. I was going to say he's he's got Irish roots, hasn't he? And so you very, hear that in the yeah, back of his, very strongly 
has an Irish point of view and an Irish sense of humour, definitely. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, did the most amazing narration, as you'd expect, really quickly, very well. And also it was quite difficult because he, he'd, he'd seen it and it was my voice narrating it in the film. Um, and he, I suppose he hadn't, he wasn't gone straight, but he didn't really know he was interacting. So it wasn't just a page of narration. He'd actually have to kind of talk to the other characters and, I thought, oh, and okay. get that tone yeah, right. Yeah, and and you know what? Um, why wouldn't he? He's an amazing actor. He just did it straight away. <laughs> and we were like, okay, this is going to take forever. And he's like, yeah. He's talking to him, and the guy played it back, and he was like, yeah, he may as well be in the same room as him. So it was brilliant. And I had, and then um, we couldn't get his taxi, so we sat in the lobby chatting for about forty minutes. And it was brilliant. He was really funny um, and and really supportive of the film. And uh, so he became the, the narrator. So it wasn't like a it wasn't like a, a textbook kind of job in the sense. It, it, yeah, but it but in the air, I suppose, tragically, the way the time was running out that we had to kind of take anyone. But actually, what we got was Brian Cox, <laughs> yeah. which is amazing. Does but that, the, this, but that doesn't but sound like a disservice to him. But it was like. We were very lucky. The timing, and it was all about timing in the end. It could have been anyone's timing was wrong or right, because you and actually our timing was the key. Because we were like, well, actually, we need to get on it. Mm. And actually, that little moment of well, we we're going to be entering film festivals in three weeks' time, actually put it into the process. If we had said, oh, well, you know, whenever, then I don't think any of them would happen. So actually, we just by setting our own time limit actually made it happen bizarrely yeah. which you don't think you're in the pro- in the position to do that's what actually made it happen so it's and he's brilliant you know he's got an, an, an instantly recognizable voice and he's more than welcome to come back for the future <laughs> <laughs> you put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny how things like that happen you know it might not have been top of the list but He's perfect for the film. Yeah, he's, and yeah. and then his history's perfect for it, and and also he there's without a doubt he, the moment he starts talking, you go, well, that's Brian Cox. Yeah, I mean he's got a great timbre in his voice, you know, and as you say, it's it clearly Scottish actor, Scottish, but also you can feel the Irish twang coming through, and so so yeah, so it had to be someone famous, I think. Um, but yeah, as I say, some film festival gurus tell you, yeah, but everyone's after that. And then that somehow is a negative when people are selecting your film because they just think it was like a thing to get into film festivals. It's kind of bizarre. But You can only make the film yeah, exactly. that you have in your head. Yeah, and in the end, it, it was always going to be a good voice. Now, mm. if it had been Joe Bloggs with an amazing voice, you know, it would have worked. But it, it's a movie about movies as well. So it... it felt like you had to have some star power yeah in there somewhere and and a very easy way to do that is have a narrator because mm. you can get an hour's work out of someone and you is that all long it took an hour yeah hour, hour and, a, and an hour and then a half an hour chat in the lobby <laughs> which i wish i had before now it would have been a sort of much more relaxed thing but he was very relaxed he was just sat up and read it and just like amazing easy peasy and and the, the only other and i say the only other person um phelan drew who then is in in the pub scene and he's one of the guys who steals the candles in the film um was the same he was he was a friend of a friend came came <laughs> down for half a day and just blew me away like how on it he was just 
and that's not to say the the other actors weren't but they had lots more to do and they were much more involved in it but he came down did half a page and just like blasted me away and i was i almost couldn't keep up with how good he was and that's that's like when you get serious actors that are working all the time and for an an amount of time at at a level you just like but that's what you want. You want to surround yourself with as, people who are as Kubrick, so much better than yeah, you. Exactly. And that's yeah. Kubrick said. That's what he said to Malcolm Dow. That's why I hired, hired you. you yeah. Know? That's why good casting is, is probably half the work. If mm. you get the right people and they, they're they on the screen for you and they look good and, they, and they're and they doing the right work, then you probably don't have to give them any notes. Well, it just makes sense. If you've, you've chosen the right DP, the right location scout <laughs> if you've chosen the right behind the scenes photographer then you <laughs> you available next time always Fantastic. um but you know you want to pick the right actors um has anyone from the kubrick estate seen the film uh i think they have yeah it's a it's a strange one because uh, you've seen it it's it's definitely not uh, a damning indictment of anyone's directing technique or him at all it's very much as you say a love letter um and a very light love letter i hope um so and and Michael Stevenson then who I know quite well is obviously still a great friends of the Kubrick estate. Mm. Um and so I did email Jan Harlan and he didn't reply. And Jan Harlan is his brother-in-law but was kind of the the boss of the of the firm, the family business. Um and so I very tentatively emailed him and no reply and then very tentatively emailed him a few months a good few months afterwards and he replied and said um send it send it to me and we'll talk and i was like oh my god <laughs> and he's never replied since so so it, I, i'm happy with that i'll put that on the poster jan harlan said nothing because <laughs> what i don't want is jan harlan says cease and desist yeah <laughs> and and i and he would i hopefully would have absolutely no reason to do so i reckon um, they, i mean i, I had i have i have recorded the episode with his daughter katharina is going to mm-hmm. come out the week after this one comes out yeah and and you know i've got to know the daughter and and christiane a bit over the last year because they're my art teachers i reckon they'd like it i reckon they see the funny side of it yeah I, and I've, what I've and certainly what i've read and seen in bits of documentary and also i've, I've heard them all talking about him is actually and actually from michael stevenson he told me amazing stories which i can't tell you um <laughs> Um, about Barry Lyndon and Ryan O'Neill, but that he actually had a very, a very strong sense of humour, mm. and obviously that doesn't necessarily when it comes out in Doctor Strangelove, definitely. But um, but it doesn't. You wouldn't say there's Go Stanley, the comedy director, but he yeah. was quite a, a humorous guy on set with his crew that he he knew and loved, and also as we discussed um, during the shoot, a massive family man with a big family and lots of cats and dogs yeah. and horses and stuff so he wasn't his he wasn't the cold mythical no and guy that yeah which is what i is. that's what i and ultimately when you 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 feel the presence of Kubrick for me now having spent a year sort of tinkering with the film is that's what i like about him that actually he went to work and made these incredible works of precision but actually the picture i like the most is this picture of him sitting in his house covered in silly string during someone's birthday party with a cat on his lap or something like that. Oh, I haven't like seen that. that one. Yeah, I think it's I can't remember, it's probably sort of full metal jacket days or something like that and he's just covered in silly string and he, and he's laughing <laughs> and you just think and there's a couple of uh, pictures of behind the scenes of Barry Lyndon as well where they're just him and Ryan O'Neill 
were just like seem to be pissing themselves laughing and you think well that's that's not you people don't want to see that because actually people have completely subscribed to the mm. idea that he was 200 takes and drew, drove every um, mad which i'm sure he did too but he, he you know he's still a human being this is exactly what katharina says as a little preview for next week's episode <laughs> she kind of gets pissed off when people still perpetuate this this bullshit myth and she kind of made it her mission mm-hmm. to to tell people the truth. Definitely, yeah. If you want to see the portraits I just shot of David, head to www.sftl.photos and also hit subscribe on the podcast app so you never miss an episode. We always end with a quiz. Let's oh my God. See, let's see if you really know Kubrick. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. In Eyes Wide Shut, who played the man in the red cloak in the orgy scene? It's one of the family members or one of the regular crews. It's not Leon Vitali or something like that. Boom, you got it. He played the guy in the red cloak and he also played the older Lord Bullingdon exactly. in Barry Lyndon. And has a film coming out. It's a feature film called Film Worker. Oh, well, he's directed one. Stan- yeah, about working, a documentary about him working with Stanley. Oh, marvellous. Yeah. Oh, I'll look out for that one. Yeah. In Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining, the family are warned to stay out of room 237, but in the original book by Stephen King... What is the number of the hotel oh room? That I don't know, but in my head, so bizarrely, it's something like 219 or something. Two doors down, 217. <laughs> <laughs> what is the name of the drug given to Alex in A Clockwork Orange? Uh, is it uh, is it CRM114 or something like that? Close. That's from Dr. Strangelove. Yes. It's Serum114. <sighs> and, and just a little aside, you may not have spotted it. Um, our amazing visual effects guy. There's a there's a getaway van in our film, and if you go back and look at it, which I think you can, uh, the registration is a P O O P E, which is from see from Doctor Strangelove P O E one one four. So he's not. That's one of the ninety, <laughs> but that's visual effects. On oh, he a, put that on in registration there. plate. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I Am Spartacus is obviously from Spartacus. Which other Kubrick film features a character jokingly saying this line? Oh, my God. I have no idea. I feel that must be The Clockwork Orange, but I only watched it last week. It's in Lolita. Claire Quilty says it to Humber Humber right at the beginning. I'm going to have to review that. (laughs) (laughs) In Barry Lyndon, how much money per year is Barry promised in exchange for him leaving England? I think it was five hundred pounds, but I could oh, be nearly. Wrong. It's five hundred guineas. Five hundred guineas. Well, no, that's what I meant. <laughs> when you when you told it all together, I'm sure it'd be about the same. Um, you did all right. You did well. Thank you. You did really well. Right. Where can people uh, see you online? Um, I'm on various social media platforms, but I do have an official website, kubrickbycandlelight.com. Uh, I have a Facebook page which would be the same Kubrick by Candlelight you have a really cool Instagram account which Instagram. is where I found you is that, is that how you found That's how, yeah oh, right. I kept thinking who's this guy posting all because oh, it's I called it. Kubrick Perspective yeah, yeah and it was just like constantly coming up <laughs> on my feed and I was like it's such a good idea and then I clicked on the, the profile and I was like he's made a film oh, and I, I thought no okay. when, when, when I first saw the title Kubrick by Candlelight I thought is that going to be a documentary like a feature length documentary about Barry Lyndon and it was only like Three weeks ago, that I realised oh, it was no a short idea. film. I forgot. I completely forgot. I thought because I was doing this crazy Kubrick by candlelight month during August that I thought that's how 
the sheer weight of that somehow you you'd seen it somewhere no, else. No, no, you've but, been okay. on my radar for a while. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the Kubrick perspectives on Instagram, and then I'm, I think I'm on Twitter, Kubrick film, and I think that's all the social media. All I mean, well, actually, no, there's tons more, but yeah. I haven't got a Snapchat. David, thank you so much. Thank you, and and I can't wait to see the pictures. And this is how we end it. I've been Robert Gershenson. I've been David O'Reilly. We'll shoot you later. <laughs>